Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Kate Dolan. She is a writer and director whose short films have premiered at festivals like BFI London Film Festival, Fantastic Fest, and Fantasia Film Festival. Her debut feature film, You Are Not My Mother, premiered at TIFF Midnight Madness in September 2021, and is now available to watch on VOD. Hi, Kate! We're so excited you're here. We are. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am... I'm a big fan of the podcast, so I'm I'm very happy to be here and Aww. involved. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. So cool. Um, <laughs> uh, so can you um, take us back to the beginning? How did you get introduced to horror? Um, I think I always try to like because I was doing a lot of press for the movie lately, and a lot of people asked me that, and I was like, kind of trying to work it out. I think I always like had a real natural fascination with kind of anything spooky or scary I think Halloween was like my favorite time of year and dressing up for that and then mm. then I started to realize there was goosebumps books in the like okay like school library and I think they were like real gateway because it was kind of you know the movies were maybe a bit too scary to watch when you're like six or seven but the goosebumps books they're like more accessible and like mm-hmm. you can get them at the library and enjoy them and they're not kind of as scary maybe so I think that was kind of the gateway. And then I kind of really started to annoy my mom about like wanting to watch horror movies, I think. And she was just like eventually gave up and kind of just let me start watching. Them. <laughs> <laughs> was your mom or any member of your family into horror at all? Not really. I mean, my, my mom, she's like okay. a big cinephile, like she loved watching films. So I like I watched Shawshank Redemption with her when I was like seven And, you know, I think I actually have a real early memory, I think, of watching that movie alive with her about the rugby team that ate each other on the mountain. Yes. (laughs) And like Braveheart, I watched, yeah, like I watched Braveheart with her too, which isn't like a horror movie, but there's like, 
people being murdered and stuff in it. It's so kind of heavy. Like gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he has his so, intestines getting pulled out of his body at one point. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think my mom had, like, I let me watch these movies with her because I would never go to bed because I was an only child. So I hated, like, being put to bed. So she just kind of gave up and let me watch them with her. So I think she, even though those weren't horror movies, she definitely liked kind of... You know, yeah, films like that, I suppose, that were horror adjacent. She's not really a horror fan, though, but I didn't really have anyone. My auntie, my auntie on my dad's side, she was only 15 when I was born. Mm -hmm. So she used to watch a lot of kind of, she still loves horror movies a lot. So she used to kind of try and show me stuff that I was probably, she took me to see 28 Days Later in the cinema when I was um, like 11. (laughs) (laughs) So that was fun. My my aunt was nine when I was born, so I have a similar experience where, like, she would watch scary movies and I would, wa- I, like, when she'd babysit and I would sneak or she would take me to see, like, The Village and they should to see The Village in theater, so it's yeah. the best. <laughs> yeah, you need someone to kind of, like, bring you to see. I'm doing that now for my little cousin because my uncle has a daughter, He's she's only 10, and she watched my movie for the first time last week. That was her first big scary Aww. movie to watch. And she was like delighted. Yeah. That's really sweet. Wait, so that's funny. so cool. Yeah, wow. it was so cute. She was like, does this mean I'm like graduated to like watching scary movies now if I can watch your movie? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And her mom was like, don't encourage this. <laughs> Have you heard of the new French extremity movement? <laughs> like, let's, let's start it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tetsuo the Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like she'd like it. <laughs> Do you remember your first horror movie? Like what your first horror movie was? Um, yeah, I was trying to figure this out. I think, I think there was like when I got to about age nine, eight or nine, I kind of got really obsessed with like the idea of watching horror movies. And I had two best friends, um, and they had actually their dad was like minding them. They were having a sleepover together without me. Um, I know I wasn't invited. I can't believe it. But um, they basically their dad or one of their dads showed them the omen. Okay. And they got to the part where the nanny, like, jumps out the window and they had to turn it off. But then they started telling me about that and I, in school and stuff. So then we got obsessed with the idea of, like, watching horror movies. So I think, like, there was a few kind of together at, like, sleepovers and stuff that we watched. It was definitely, like, I think The Sixth Sense was definitely mm. one of the first ones. And then maybe... Maybe it was The Omen. And then I think The Blair Witch Project was probably one of the first ones as well. Um, And The Ring, the like, The Ring was, and Psycho, I think. Psycho I watched with my granny as well. So I think that was kind of like a little bit of a gateway in too, because that's not too scary. I like the range, like the decades you have. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, good good education to start with. Yeah, absolutely. But I I love the experience of in like elementary school and middle school where you would see a horror movie and everyone would tell everyone like the plot and you'd be like, oh, I have to watch this or I can't watch it because like that happened with The Ring for me because I was too scared to watch it. And so my friend like told me the whole plot and I just remember that being like a weird fun part of childhood is like talking about the scary movies you saw and telling everyone the story. <laughs> I know, like I loved like I remember once there was like this kind of slightly older girl who like um our grandmothers lived next door to each other so she used to watch movies and tell me the whole plot like literally from like the beginning to the end like every line just described but I remember she told me she was like I watched this movie with sharks called Deep Blue Sea and it's like really scary and she like told me the whole plot and I was like 
gripped. Mm. I was like, I need to watch this movie. It sounds like the most amazing movie I've ever heard of my life. <laughs> It was so funny. Oh, Deep Blue Sea. I love that yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, when the sharks swim backwards, you're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> My favorite part is where he uses the doctor in the gurney and throws it against the glass to break the glass of the facility. Favorite part of the movie. It's so ridiculous. He's like, oh, and the piece incredible. as he goes slamming into the glass. So good. Oh, man. So good. Okay. So aside from the movie that we're going to talk about a little bit later, what were, do you remember any other films that like really scared you or like stuck with you as a kid? You know, I'm obviously from Ireland and I think here, obviously everyone's basically Irish Catholic. Yeah. So it's like, the kind of scariest thing is always the devil with like the idea of like the devil or demons. So I think like the exorcist really scared me when I saw that. Um, because I obviously as a like God fearing Catholic child was like, I'm going to get possessed by a demon now. And I was like terrified <laughs> of being possessed by a demon. And like, I would say prayers being like, please don't let a demon possess me. <laughs> like, so scared of this idea. Um, so I think that one like really scared me a lot. And then, yeah, I think I, you know, that a lot of the other movies that we watched then, I think were a lot of those kind of like, I suppose, 90s slasher mm, type mm-hmm. movies, like Urban Legend and Valentine and stuff like that. So they didn't scare me. They're, they're kind of more fun. But I think, yeah, the, definitely The Exorcist kind of stuck with me for a good few years. And then even like there was, I remember <laughs> like even when I was 15, I went to see The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Okay. Oh, at the cinema yep. with yeah. some friends and that still innate fear of like i'm gonna get possessed by a demon like it was still in my mind at age 15 i was like no it's gonna happen someday and i'd be like in bed at night and i'd be like tonight i'm gonna be possessed by a demon <laughs> it's like, so scared i was similar because i also grew up irish catholic obviously not in ireland but my dad i've said this a couple times in the podcast my dad was like super scared of demons and like i was then super scared of demons and I'd be like, yeah. I have to do everything in my power to never get possessed. So, like, I took the don't say the name of a demon very seriously. <laughs> like, it was just like, yeah. I am not super religious. Like, and I haven't super been, but that was something I'm like, I don't want to play games. Like, even if it's not real, I don't want to find out if it is. <laughs> so I'm just going to follow know. the rules and make sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, that. It, I think it, it was the fact that, like, you know, my pa- my mom, she's really like, you know, she's not super religious or anything like that. But like we lived with my grandmother for a while when I was growing up. My grandparents were really religious. They took me to mass every Sunday. Oh, and wow. they like they truly believed like the devil's real. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom, even though she was like very well educated and like, you know, very kind of level headed woman, she would also she was like fully believe the devil's real. Because like they're just it's so in- ingrained from like going to church that you're just like, oh no this is true so then like when you're a kid and you're like they're like no the devil is real you're like watching those movies you're like whoa okay (laughs) (laughs) this is real guys this is gonna actually happen um so yeah that kind of you kind of there's no adult to tell you like no yeah you shouldn't be afraid of that that's not real because they're like it might be and you're like oh no Did you did you get scared a lot watching horror movies as a kid or was it just specific ones that really scared you or were you like you know, a scaredy cat as a kid or not really I think I like um I was generally like pretty hardy with scary movies I was always the kind of kid who got in trouble at like at birthday parties and sleepovers because I would always bring like horror movies and then the moms would be like ringing my mom and they'd be like there's three girls here crying because Kate 
brought like the ring <laughs> and my mom would be like oh god here we go again <laughs> so yeah I was like I was like wanting to push myself further all the time I was like I want to see a scarier movie so I was like oh yeah I kind of was always trying to up the ante on myself yeah is that the way you are as, as an adult too? just um, are you still trying to seek that high or yeah I guess it's, as, that you had as a kid yeah I think like maybe making the horror movies is like because I, I, I do find it really hard to find stuff that actually, like, scares me. So then I'm like, well, I'll just make mm-hmm. them. <laughs> I'll just, like, be go. involved in the process. I'll scare other people. So, yeah, that's, I, yeah, I guess I haven't, yeah, it's it's kind of, hasn't been a film in it a long time. I think that's actually scared me. So, yeah, I'm always, I like, yeah, I mean, you're probably the same. He's like, you just watch constantly all the horror movies that come yeah. out. So you're, like, looking for something that's going to, like, really kind of, grip you we're pretty desensitized that's for yeah. sure yeah. Yeah. yeah you said it's been a long time since you've seen a movie that scared you do you remember like the last movie that you saw as an adult or a movie that you saw as an adult that was like wow this movie is terrifying yeah i think um i think like one movie that really like affected me i don't know if it like scared mm-hmm. me so much like you know jump scares and something like that but i think afterwards i felt really unsettled by lake mungo i think that was like the last time that i like really kind of felt really weird after watching a movie i was like oh that made me feel kind of haunted i was like kind of scary in that way oh that's like my favorite yeah one of my favorite movies of all time i watched that and had to sleep so with good. the lights on the first time i saw it it was like oh just something about it feels a little cursed yeah it feels <laughs> like you shouldn't be watching it it's like kind of makes you feel disturbed in a way that i hadn't really experienced with a film in a really long time yeah terry have you seen lake mungo i have oh I- I don't remember too much. Oh, okay. I thought you said you didn't like it. Okay. I was like, I'm, we have to quit the I, I don't. <laughs> That's it. It's over. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't remember really getting it when I first saw it. Like, like thinking like, okay, what, what was the thing? What was the big thing about this movie? Cause like people had hyped it up, but I want to rewatch it because like, I, I, I don't, I don't remember anything about it. I'll okay. watch it with it's you. I'll watch it time. with you. Yeah, I think okay, you, definitely give it a rewatch to see what, if you've changed your opinion. Because a lot of people say that about it. And I just, I, I feel like I was either not paying attention or I just missed something or I just wasn't in the mood for, you know, more cerebral. It's also like, mm. it's a little bit more subtle than a, like than a lot of yeah. stuff. And it's like very emotional. And yeah. it, it's got a lot of cool twists and turns that i don't know i just love that yeah i think so i much. actually like almost started crying when i was watching it at one point because mm-hmm. i was like this is mm-hmm. such a sad movie and i think that's almost partly why it like stayed with me after because i was just like god that's so sad <laughs> and scary and it made me feel made me feel bad feelings in a good way <laughs> yep yeah love that. and so you know you make horror movies you watch horror movies what attracts you to the genre now as an adult obviously your perception of it all changes i think when you start like working to make horror films as well maybe because you Mm -hmm. you kind of maybe takes the magic out of it a little bit because you kind of are looking at when i watch horror movies now i'm like oh that's really interesting how they like constructed that sequence that was scary and how did they put that together the music cues and all that kind of stuff so you kind of start deconstructing them a bit in your head when you watch them so it is nice to find a film that takes you out of that, so you're not thinking about that while you're watching it, um, and it does make you feel kind of unsettled. But I think it definitely, like, I, I think I love the genre as a filmmaker because I think it's so, you know, you can really let your imagination run wild and you can kind of have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and creativity in what you do and 
you can kind of create monsters and strange and unusual things and that you wouldn't get to do in kind of another genre of film um but yeah I think it's just I think as well like I, I think what appealed to me as a kid and it still appeals to me now is like that idea that a film could make you feel such an intense emotion like it's like just so like it's like the same feeling as being on a roller coaster or like on a thrill yeah. ride it's like you're you're kind of your heart's racing and you like are you know you can't look away but you want to like I think that's like you know in other genres of film I don't think you have such a strong visceral reaction to to like genres and uh, like drama or film or even a comedy film or whatever but I yeah so I, I like that about it cool Hell yeah. Hmm. When did you kind of get the filmmaking bug? Is it something that you've always been interested in from being a child or how did you get involved in, in filmmaking? Um, yeah, I think I, you know, as I said, I think my, my mother and my grandmother were very big into film and like my grandmother particularly, she Mm -hmm. had a really like encyclopedic knowledge of old Hollywood and actors and movies. And like, you know, I watched Gone with the Wind with her and like Rebecca and like Mm -hmm. all these kind of like Hitchcock movies. And like, so I think, that gave me a very great love of the genre, like of film and just like that way of storytelling and like really kind of gripped me as a kid. I loved watching movies then. And like, then I started reading like Empire Magazine when I was kind okay. of a little bit older then and then seeing how films were put together and like how that all worked. And that just kind of just became obsessed. I actually, so I made my communion and my confirmation, which are like sacraments in catholic church that you do when you're like eight and 11 but like in ireland you get given loads of money when you're doing those oh okay yeah so you get given money by like literally everybody like your neighbors your family your parents friends all those kind of stuff where the fuck was that when i got when i had to go through that where was that for me you missed out you missed out damn it Um, but i was like so i saved up all my money my mom made me put it in like a little post office account but then when I got to like age 11, 12, after I'd done my confirmation, I was like, I want to buy a camera with the money. And my mom was mm. like, please don't buy a camera. Like, just save it for something better than that. And I was like, no, I really want this. So she like brought me into the like, um, you know, Best Buy type shop we have here. And I got a high mm-hmm. eight camera and I was so delighted with myself. So then I started making like little mm. movies with my friends but I used all the money that I'd gotten for my communion confirmation. My mom was like, great. <laughs> Obviously, it was a good investment. I know. <laughs> In the it's long run. Off. Yeah. Yeah, it's paying off now. She's like, my mom's like, at first she was like, please just do a, like, maybe do a degree, like law or something like that before you do film. Like, try it out. And I was like, no. And then I went to film school. But now I think she's like, she was kind of worried I'd never work. Um, but now she sees that it's kind of paying off. So she's happy. She's happy now. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see, see why this is why I bought my camera yeah. when I was 11 or 12 years old. See? <laughs> it, were, it was worth it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Catholic Church, I guess. <laughs> yeah, in a weird way. In a weird yeah. way. Oh, just because yeah. of the weird traditions that yeah. the Catholic Church puts yeah. us through. I know. Yeah. But okay. So your feature film debut. You were not my mother. Can yeah, you tell yeah. our listeners a little bit about it if they're unfamiliar? Yes, of course. So it's a horror movie and it's a, uh, about a teenage girl called Char. And she uh, lives with her mother and her grandmother. And her mother is um, sort of suffering silently with her, like some mental health issues. And then one day her mom goes missing and the family sort of fear the worst. And But then she kind of returns a day later 
and um, her behavior becomes increasingly strange and unusual and uh, the protagonist starts to kind of uh, unearth family secrets that have been kept from her and that kind of explain what's happening and it's set during um, Halloween in Ireland which is um, lots of fun uh, because you haven't really seen Irish Halloween very much um, depicted on screen so that's fun but uh, yeah it's a scary kind of emotional movie and it's available to rent now. So you were talking about how you lived with your grandparents, with your mom. So I can see kind of how that translates into the film because it's she lives, Shar and her mom live with their grandmother. Is that kind of where you got the inspiration for that kind of matriarchal system in their house? Yeah, it was a few things kind of. So, you know, obviously, yeah, that was my upbringing as a kid. We lived with my grandmother and my grandfather. Um, and so my grandmother, like I spent a lot of time with her because my mom worked. So we would like kind of hang out together all the time. But I, I also was like, you know, I, I always like that kind of like the three generations of women because in like pagan, there's like a lot of, it's you know, the film's kind of like folk horror and there's like draws from paganism mm-hmm. in Ireland and like witchcraft in Ireland um, that I did some research on and the kind of folklore of Ireland. But in paganism, there's like this three goddess symbol, which is the, the maiden, the mother and the crone. So it's like three kind of okay. times of a woman's life so it was like mm-hmm. that was part of the inspiration for like the three women uh, as well for me it was like the film is sort of about it's about a lot of things but I think for me like in Irish uh, history and in Irish society like women obviously have been treated really badly and like the impacts of that you see it kind of generationally how the different generations deal with that and like the Catholic church kind of oppressing women throughout Irish history and for me the film is I guess about like traumatic events in the past and how three generations of women deal with that so like you have the grandmother who like it's like that generation was kind of like keep it secret never say anything don't talk Mm -hmm. about it whereas the mother then is kind of getting the impact of keeping the secrets and can't do it anymore and then it's like the younger generations like we try to like you know my generation now we're trying to like draw things out into the light and like make sure that like we confront things that are in the past which are used to be kind of swept under the rug so yeah that's kind of partly what the film's about too cool so you you brought up the the folklore and the folk horror aspect of of the movie um so from from an outsider's perspective it seems as if uh folklore is really kind of intrinsic to ireland is that is that a fair fair statement definitely yeah i think you know like i was saying about kind of the way that you know as a kid I was kind of like told like the devil's real and it's like you know that Mm -hmm. kind of uh, the catholic side of it but then there's like we had this very like religious kind of side to our history but then there's a real still a feeling of the pagan and like the kind of folklore always ever present as well which was really interesting so like we were always told the folklore stories like about banshees and stuff like they're real do you know what I mean it's like no this and like if you talk to some people from like you know, as you know, Dublin is kind of obviously it's capital city, so like there's maybe a bit of less belief. But if you go going more rural, there's people who will straight up be like, "No, my my mother saw a banshee." Like they will truly still believe that the that's real. So it's like it kind of it's funny. It's like this kind of like it's all believed still a little bit. And um, and like in history, there's like been cases of like um people really believing it's true there used to be fairy doctors in ireland that like if you thought there was like a fairy malady that your family member was having you would call them and they'd like kind of they were kind of like herbalists and stuff like that but they would help Mm -hmm. you in whatever way they thought was 
fit. Well, and part of this movie is based on a real case, right? About a man who thought his wife was a change changeling, correct? And he yes. Yeah. So that actually happened. Yeah. So this guy, um, basically this woman was called Bridget Cleary and it was in 1895. So it wasn't like that long ago. Um, and that was kind of the last recorded case of a changeling or like, you know, a real changeling. I don't know. But uh, basically he thought his wife was unwell and I like, called a fairy doctor to their house. And like the fairy doctor was like, we think that she's a changeling. And then that and ended very tragically with the the husband her husband burning her in a fire in their house, and she he went wow. got sent to prison for murder. But Jesus, yeah. So that was like, I always find those stories really interesting because you're like, what is real? Like, did that? Did he really believe that, or what was really going right. on there? Do you know? Like, it kind of it's really intriguing just to think of like the real world impact of those stories that were kind of just stories, but yeah, yeah. Well, and I was also thinking watching this movie about how like, because we've also been um, on our little mini so that we release every Fridays, we've been talking folklore, and we've been exploring folklore across across the world. And what I always see in a lot of these movies, and in particular, um, I'm thinking about movies in, in Ireland that have changelings in them, like, uh, is it the Hallow, I think I saw yeah. at one point, um, where it's like people typically go into the forest or rural area and discover something that they're not prepared for prepared for. Whereas this is set in Dublin and it's, it's more of a less of a rural setting and it's more of, um, you know, like a city setting and you don't have that aspect of it. And I thought that was really fascinating that here we don't, we're not seeing people kind of verge out into territory unknown. It's like, it's still here within that cityscape. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for me, when I was, obviously I'm from, like just outside the city center of Dublin that's where I grew up so my kind of experience of hearing folk stories was very much in the urban so you still would hear these mm. things and believe they were real but you had it in a very urban setting so I I really wanted mm. to make something that yeah I suppose depicted folk art in a different in like my kind of experience of the folk aspect of my life and then you know I think as well it's just so scary to me like the idea that you can be kind of suffering in a house or something bad can be happening there and you're surrounded by neighbors, like literally in a terraced house where you've got like people yeah. on the other side of the wall, but you're kind of so isolated still even there. And like, that's almost mm. scarier to me than like being in a cabin in the woods. Cause you're just like around all these people that aren't intervening or helping you. So that's kind of more frightening. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So I love Hazel Dupe as Char. She is incredible in this movie. But you have Char become kind of friends with her one of her bullies, and yeah. I got a little queer reading from that. Was that in, is that me just being gay and liking <laughs> to think things are gay, <laughs> or did you mean to have kind of these queer undertones with their relationship as it kind of develops? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, cool. I'm queer, so I'm um, yeah. I it, I feel like the film has a very like queer undercurrent I think a lot of and a lot of gay people I talk to who've watched it are like really pick up on it um a lot mm-hmm. whereas like some straight people don't but a lot of people do so it's kind of nice that it's come across but it was funny because when I was writing the script I didn't really intend that and then as I was writing the characters I remember having a meeting with the script editor and she was like what's going on with these girls <laughs> I was like what you they're mean? just she was friends like, yeah they're just gal pals chatting um but yeah so then I was like oh I never really thought about that about their characters and then 
the script editor was like, well, just kind of, as you're writing the next draft, bear that in mind. Like, how would that impact how they interact with the world around them? So then it became more the DNA of the characters. And then Hazel and Jordan, who plays Suzanne in the movie, um, when they read the script first, and I did a Zoom call with them, we couldn't meet in person because it was COVID, but it was like they, both of them separately on the Zoom calls were like, what's going on with these girls, huh? Because <laughs> they're both queer, so they were kind of really picking up on it. Um, oh, the movie's so, was, so gay. Oh, awesome. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. movie, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> I know, yeah. And um, yeah, we had a lot of like queer crew and stuff like that. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, they, they really picked up on it and they loved that idea about their characters. Then like any scenes they had together, that kind of just really naturally started to come in because they were obviously just like thinking about that all the time so yeah it was definitely intentional but I like it's like not too overt because I think you know it wouldn't be true to their characters to like kind of push it further because I think both Mm -hmm. of them are very in a in a place and an environment that like it's not really safe for them to do that so they kind of you know yeah so okay we've talked about your horror history we've talked about your creative work but Kate what film did you bring with you today for us to discuss so yes I decided to bring um the omen today speaking of all my weird catholic upbringing I'm so <laughs> glad you brought that up because I was like I wonder if she's Irish catholic because I have so many questions about but anyway this is the omen yeah. 1976 <laughs> the OG so this is an incredible synopsis um that we got from IMDb Terry it's very <laughs> dramatic yeah, mysterious Love death it. It mysterious death surrounds an American ambassador could the child that he is raising actually be the antichrist the devil's own son I love I, whoever writes the the synopses for IMDb. They sometimes just are perfect. Like, yeah, we could write our own, but sometimes even funnier when you use the IMDb because it's like that's weird that that's what you picked up from that movie. But okay, yeah, okay, interesting. <laughs> but um, to start out, can you give us your scarred for life story with the Omen and why you picked this to talk about today? Yeah, so essentially I had these two best friends that I was, um, we used to kind of talk about horror movies, we were kind of all obsessed with the idea of watching them, Um, and they Mm -hmm. got shown The Omen by, um, one of their dads showed it to them when they were probably way too young, I think they were like eight or something like that, and they had to turn it off after the scene where the nanny, like, jumps out the window, Um. So they were telling me about this and they used to do the quote where they'd be like, it's all for you, David. <laughs> it's all for it's you, all David. For you. <laughs> I'm going to sing that we, too much today, just so you are aware. Stunning. Love it. Um, but they, like, we knew the quote before I'd actually even seen the movie. Mm, and we used to do yeah. the nanny, like, jumping and stuff like that. It was, like, really weird. But um, So then they kind of, like, I got obsessed then with the idea of, like, watching this because they had only watched a bit of it, too, I think. And then, so then I think it was, like, I can't remember the exact time, but I think it was most likely in one, I think, um, my friend Evelyn, her house was kind of the place where you got to watch horror movies a bit more. So we were at her house, like, probably for a sleepover or a birthday party or something like that, and we watched The Omen and... I just was so thrilled by it. I was just like, this is so badass. There's just like so much crazy stuff going on. 
and like it's kind of a little bit camp as well I think like um mm. you know just like so kind of like theatrical some of it and like the like evil nanny and like the close-ups of her eyes and stuff like that and you're like oh um so it just I think it just really stuck with me and I think um as a like young catholic kid I think those like religious horror movies definitely scared me more than other kinds of horror movies so I did get really I was really scared of the devil so then I remember after I watched it I really kind of was worried that by watching it I would get the devil like attention so then I kind of was a bit freaked out after that I was like oh god no I watched the movie now he's gonna definitely pay more interest in me because I've seen that movie and then obviously there was all the stuff like that happened it was like cursed movie and then we started to like my friends we would talk about that and you'd be like no you know what happened to like all the crew or like what happened on set and then you'd be like oh my god I watched this movie and now I'm like gonna bring the curse upon myself or something <laughs> how I'm sorry how old were you when you when you finally saw I was it, trying to work this think? out I feel like nine or ten nine maybe did the uh because there's you know it, it's kind of a, a quiet film overall but like I mean not the music but like in terms of the like horror aspects they come at specific times did the 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 violence at all terrify you when you were a kid or do you remember that sticking with you i think they kind of the 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 nanny scene i think really stuck with me because i think that's quite disturbing thing to see as a kid because you're Mm -hmm. like she basically like commits suicide on on, in it and like Mm -hmm. it's that's really kind of frightening i think as well the monkeys at the zoo that sequence where they're driving in the zoo and then the monkeys start attacking the car like a few sequences like that, yeah, just, like, really stuck with me. I think they're, like, as you say, it's quite slow. Like, you know, there's not that much happening all the time. And, like, but when they do have those scenes, they're, like, and obviously they amp up the, like, score so much. And it's, like, this, like, dramatic choral, like, singing. And you're, like, oh, no, something really bad's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. We'll jump ahead. I just want to talk about the curse part. I know that, Terry, you did do some research about it being cursed because I have also – I feel like every movie about – the devil is cursed. You know what I mean? I feel like the yeah. exorcist was cursed. Like some people died. And I'm always like, again, I'm always like, look, I'm a grown woman. I don't believe in that stuff, but maybe a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm just like, that's too much of a coincidence. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, it's the cat. It's the Catholicism. I swear to God. It just, it's grains <laughs> yeah. itself in your brain, no matter how hard you try to avoid it. <laughs> I know it's funny I was at a film festival recently and Paco Plaza was there with his movie Abuela and we started mm-hmm. talking we were sitting at dinner together and we started chatting about because he has a Catholic upbringing in Spain as well like Spanish very kind of strong Catholic upbringing and like obviously he has a lot of movies where they're like nuns and all that kind of stuff and we were talking about that and we were like we're obviously both atheists horror movie directors but he was like sometimes I still pray if I'm getting nervous about something and I was like yeah me too secretly because I just like it like never leaves you this idea you're like well because you know it's so ingrained in you when you're a kid like mass every Sunday all the Catholics all the schools in Ireland are or almost all them like 95 percent of all schools in Ireland are Catholics so you're doing prayers every day you're learning about religion all the time um so it's hard to shake it off yeah kind of um still still nuggets of it are there so definitely the curse i'm yeah i'm still like i mean bad stuff always happens on movies like they're very dramatic places where bad things happen mm-hmm. and you know you've got a lot of people working chances are something bad might happen to one person in their life after they finished making a movie but it's like when it's about the devil it's like 
that is why. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember that. there was like an interview. I can't remember who was with. Maybe it was with IndieWire or Slash Film. I can't remember which one, but I was reading it. And it was an interview with uh, Seltzer, the, the writer of the film. And because his plane got struck by lightning. And he's like, they asked him about the, the cursed the cursed aspect of the film. And he's like, it's just all hogwash. He's like, yeah, lightning struck by plane. Lightning strikes planes all the time. Well, like, but it's I'm like, reading... But it's the fact that it's... Gregory Peck's <laughs> um, Gregory Peck's airplane was also struck by lightning before, and apparently the flight he was supposed to take to set got like canceled or something, and the next or the plane he was supposed to get on and he didn't get on crashed and killed everyone on board. So again, all coincidences, but it's just like <laughs> it's just we- it's just weird. You know what I mean? Like obviously we yeah. can read into that, yeah. and like life is just weird and planes crash, but it's just like. Ooh. <laughs> yeah like i mean as a horror filmmaker i think the like young catholic kid in me would be too scared to make a film about the devil <laughs> i'm not just gonna say that <laughs> uh, fair enough fair enough yeah. but so okay i have i've seen both this and the remake from 2006 and i saw the remake from 2006 first because my dad took me to see it i was 13 and it was like it came out on 666 and it was just like all of this like yeah. oh i remember June yeah. 6 2006 and i was like i was like convinced it was the end of the world too because i was like par- I, I was so anxious and i was like well i guess we're gonna go see this and we saw it on 666 so i was already just like terrified yeah i liked the remake but i hadn't seen the original it's a shot for shot remake, which is annoying. But yeah. watching this now, and I've seen I've seen the nineteen seventy six version before, but when I was younger I didn't have an appreciation for like older horror. But watching it this time, this movie is so fucked up from the very beginning. You know what I mean? It's just like husband tricks wife with yeah. baby that is hers. And just from the get go, you're like Ooh, this is something weird and taboo about everything going on in this movie. Mm. Yeah, very Catholic start to the movie. Like, trick women. <laughs> give them babies that aren't theirs. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, from the get-go, they're like, we're Catholic. Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> Coincidence that the baby was born at the same time and the mother. Well, same and obviously that all kind of, like... Resembles the baby. Unravels. Yeah. But it's just like... Well, we've we've seen a lot of as we've been doing this podcast and you know watching movies for both the main episode and also the the smaller episodes. We've seen a lot of movies from the seventies, and the the kind of men not believing women was such a thing that was happening in the seventies. And it's interesting because like we've seen a lot of that kind of uh, cinema come back into popularity when when Trump became the president, where it's like a lot of horror was about the woman that was either being considered hysterical or not being trusted or didn't have anyone to turn to because no one would believe her because she was a woman. And we see that in this movie too, where she's like, there's something wrong with this kid. She doesn't quite know why she's feeling this way. And she kind of internalizes it, but it's definitely uh, the man's like at the beginning. Oh, she's never going to be able to, to live this down. If she, that, that the baby's dead, like it's going to destroy her. So I got to lie to her and get her another baby. Like it's, it's, it's from the very beginning. It's it's ingrained in that DNA of this film. Yes, yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Like I feel like there's, as you say, there's so many films of that era that like another favorite movie of mine, despite the director who made it, but um, is Rosemary's Baby. And I think that as yeah. well. Like it's such a brilliant movie about kind of just like gaslighting women and male kind of. You know, I love the book Rosemary's Baby actually as well because that's like I feel like 
it's just such a brilliant kind of take on that and I think yeah the omen definitely comes into that category too of just like well don't lie to your wife and give her a mystery baby because look what happens (laughs) this priest has a spare baby like (laughs) that's not weird to you but whatever I mean it's the seven people I don't I don't know. Yeah, you're really trying to push this baby on me. Like, why are you trying to get rid of it? What's going on here? Yeah, like, what's wrong with the baby? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, but, like, I just... This movie, like, the 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 nanny jumping off of the building and crashing into the window. Take, I, I, I looked at the timestamp 13 minutes in. So, like, we are, like, off to the Whoa. races with this movie. Like, we are ready to go because it, like, very quickly establishes in, like, this pretty score and, like, cute photos. Like, look, they're a happy family. Like, the sweet, they're, beautiful yep. family. They're having a great time. Uh-huh. And then I just love at the sixth birthday party, which is absolutely hysterical that this party has, like, a Karis, <laughs> like, such... I was know. it was it the photo- the journalist was like it's like the second coming of Christ or something and I was like yes. uh, um but just like this <laughs> such a cute birthday party and then all of a sudden you have this woman just being like it's all for you Damien and just absolutely it's not even the most graphic death in this movie but it's like the most fucked up in a way cuz it's in front of all these kids and everyone's just like huh something's up here yeah Ugh. It's like the way she says it as well. Like, it's just so, there's something so haunting about that scene where she's just like, it's all for you, Damien. And it's like, uh, you know, and, and I think the way they edit that part as well, like, it's just so well. I, re- I rewatched it um, before th- with this podcast, but with, with my two friends that I watched it with the first time when we were kids. Um, but we, yeah, it's still like, it's so. Um, yeah, it's just so disturbing. Oh, in a way that, like, as you say, like, there's definitely more graphic deaths, but it's just something. I think, like, obviously, suicide is always like a really kind of disturbing thing to see as a human or or hear about, or um. So I think when you like see that depicted in a movie, it's very confronting, and like, particularly how she does that and her kind of mannerisms about it, and how they kind of edit that sequence together. There's real kind of build of tension at the party that you feel like, oh no. There's a dog there watching and stuff yes. like that. And you're like, oh, what's going on? Well, and it gives you yeah. that weird feeling because she's staring at the Rottweiler and then she commits suicide. But it's like, this is weird. But if she's under the influence of Satan, is it can technically suicide? Like, it's just like this weird thing where you're yeah. like, she commits, like, she obviously hangs herself. But then you're like, this is very strange because obviously she's the dog the creepy Rottweiler that just, like, lingers on the periphery for a while. And then Damien waves at the dog when he's being held, and he's like, I know! But, like, you think it's kind of cute at first, but then you know it's not, because it's just, like, a little, ugh. That kid is so creepy. He's right, yeah, the kid is brilliant. I think, like, he really kind of... I don't know how they got, like, the performance, like, some of the performances, but, like, yeah, the later scenes, like, where he's going to the church, and he's, like, sweating, and he's, like panicking about being near the church and like the way the music builds up and the tension in the car and she's like Damien what's wrong with you and he's like starting to like freak out and you're like how did they get him to do that he's like brilliant in it I think I know yeah because you know you think about like creepy kids in in cinema and there's a lot of kids that definitely in 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 horror movies that go the extra mile to be like super creepy but what I, I actually appreciate about his performance is it is surprisingly subtle 
where like he does have like an innocence to him in a lot of places where you know he's waving at the dog and yeah it's creepy but it's also like oh it's a puppy you know and there's that kind of that pull where it's it's i don't think the kid necessarily knows what he's doing and he is re- presented with situations that are horrifying and he is like what is even happening like when he hits his his mom's the bench that his mom's standing on she falls over the side afterwards he's like what is happening he just takes off running because he can't deal with it there's like he's not like he doesn't he doesn't come across as like this malevolent being until the very end of the film he has like a this innocence to him that makes i think it makes it more kind of horrifying really and i was thinking about that a lot like when you are this kid is the antichrist and he doesn't really know what's going on. But it's like when he turned six, uh, something like awakened in his brain. So like I'm always – I was just like – I had an edible when I watched this. So I was thinking very hard <laughs> about this kid's – well, I was just like so fascinated by like what is this kid going through like emotionally? Because I'm just so curious. Like obviously it's not his perspective, but I was so curious. And my also funny thought is why does the devil always dump his son on other people to raise his kid? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, how rude! Just dumping this kid on someone else to raise until he is the full-on antichrist. But that was just a silly thought I had. But yeah, I can't believe Satan's not a good dad. So <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> Satan, absentee father. <laughs> but I was just—it's so curious, like what Damien's experience is going through this, and like he obviously has, like especially with Balak, Mrs. Balak, who is like weird from the get-go and she just appears love and they're her. like love her she's so and in the remake mia farrow plays her and i will yeah. say mia farrow oh. is incredible as like as mrs Baylock, but also uh, the actor who plays her in this is also just fucking creepy so yeah i love her so much i love yeah we were we were re-watching it recently the that scene where she just arrives and she's like i'm the new nanny now and you're like <laughs> all right where and then he's like did you did you call her she's like no did you i thought you and she's just like i'm going up to the baby bye and you're like okay i think you really need to like background check this woman <laughs> and then they come racing down the hallway he's like excuse me mrs bailoff and she's like just dismissive oh well here's my here's my you know references and they're like we're gonna call and check these she's like okay i'm gonna go look at the kid now but yeah. She just sort of dismisses them completely. That's what I love about this movie, though, because I feel like the parents are trying to be like, this is weird. Like, they, I feel like they automatically get weird vibes all around a little, like, as the thing, as everything progresses. And, like, I don't think yeah. they know how to process it. But the parents, I feel like, are very aware. This isn't, like, parents being like, hmm, what's happening? A little bit with the dad. But I feel like they know, they get the vibes that something's weird. Like, yeah, it's just something's off. But they do tear. They they don't they don't solve the problem. Oh, absolutely though. not. Like, I absolutely he's not. Like, he's walking. <laughs> he's walking down the hallway, and the dog is like growling at him. And he's just like, "Uh, we need to get rid of this dog." And she's like, "Sure." We'll do that. And nothing ever happens <laughs> to the dog until the very end when he's like, oh, yeah, the dog's gone, she finally says. But, like, it's all mollifying him and no one really, like, does anything. Like, I'm sorry. If a, if a nanny – I don't care if she says the agency sent me. I'll be like, how, where are you? How did you get here? Why are you wanting my kid? Why do you want to see my kid alone? This is all kind of creepy and it would have been a no for me. But they're just like uh, – okay i guess this is how things work yeah i love as well there's that bit where the, she's like she's like damien doesn't want to go to the church and like the mom's yeah. just like 
stop telling me not to bring my child. She's like, he won't get it. Why are you bringing him? Like, she's just like pressuring her so much. It's so funny. <laughs> and she's like, shut the fuck up. Give me my kid. <laughs> like, what yeah. are you doing? Right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, my God. I remember when I when I first saw this movie, I was probably probably around your age, Kate, when you saw it. Like, I think I was like nine or ten, maybe. And... I honestly, the only things this, so this is the first time since I originally saw it, I had not seen it in any of the intervening years. And I remember just specific things that came back to me as I was sitting down to watch this. I remember being convinced that someone I knew probably had 666 on their forehead. And I I remember going through someone's hair being like, (laughs) I did that to myself. I looked in the mirror. I looked, I was like, am I the antichrist? I, Firmly convinced that someone I knew someone yeah. that had to be the Antichrist. Um, and then I only really remember the deaths. I remember it's all for you. Mm-hmm. I remember the the impaling. Yeah. The, the, oh, it's so good. It it's is. Brilliant. And then I remember the de- decapitation, which has not aged as well as when I remembered it as a kid. What the head? The flipping. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's still really cool. Like, obviously, you can tell it's a fake head, but I also like love it. Like, in uh-huh. 1976, they had such a crazy graphic, like, head flipping around like that, and like the bot. Like, it's just so fucked up. And, and it's like so many angles on it. It's like, it's so good. It's so. And then the other thing I remember as a kid was being terrified of the dog. And I've talked about this on the podcast, but I have had numerous run-ins with dogs that terrify me. And as I was re-watching this as an adult, I was like, you know what? I feel like this might be the movie that actually like instilled a fear of dogs in me. Because the dog in this movie is terrifying. He's a scary dog, yeah. He's absolutely terrifying. And then there's the scene in the cemetery where they're digging up the, the bodies, and there is like a whole mess of them. And they descend on him, and it's it's very vicious. Yeah. And it's, I I'm pretty sure that this movie is actually what kind of gave me my fear of dogs. And then I'd be bitten by him, and then I had a whole other reason to fear him. But I'm pretty sure this was like my initial because I always was distrustful of dogs, especially the kind of black kind of kind of thick dogs. Because like this dog in here terrifies me. Yeah, <laughs> and it does He's to me today. Boy. Like it, it makes me anxious. He's a, yeah, I think it he kind is. of made me scared of Rottweilers. Definitely. I think I, other dogs maybe not as much, but yeah, I think it definitely for me as well. I think the thing that really stuck with me from watching it when I was a kid was um, the idea of the photography and the deaths like being kind of yes. foreshadowed. Oh. And then I got obsessed like as a kid, like every photo I'd be like, oh God, am I going to die as this? There's some sort of like <laughs> message in the photograph. <laughs> I love... Watching it now, it reminds me of Final Destination. Yes, I was, gonna, yeah. I was thinking that. Yes, very much Final Destination. And I was, I was like, I wonder if Final Destination took anything from this. Like, I just, oh, and I like, I remember this from, again, the remake was my point of reference for a while. But they are very like beat for beat, very similar. But in this, oh, I just love like you see it slowly, like, especially with the priest who gets impaled, it just gets slowly bigger and bigger, and it's yeah. just so cool. And then the journalist has that huge thing across his neck, and I yeah. just love that the devil is revealing, <laughs> or something is revealing everyone's death, imminent death <laughs> through photography. And there's something kind of cool about that. There's some kind of commentary about like photographic evidence and move, meta movies and all that stuff. I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that aspect of it for sure. Yeah, it was like, uh, and it's funny you say Final Destination because that was actually, I think, another film me and those friends we watched probably 
close to that time as well, I'd say, because I think Final Destination was 99, wasn't it? So I think that was like yeah, the idea of like precursor yeah. death that like you like death was going to be coming after you. That was definitely a fear I had for a while that I thought I was going to be like, you know, there was some sort of like message omen of death <laughs> chasing me around somewhere that I had to like find, figure it out. Yeah. But I want to talk about, too, the impaling scene, because that, I think, is one of the scariest to me watching now, especially, again, Jerry Goldsmith's score, absolutely, bit absolute banger. It banger, just abs- yeah. Beautiful. It's fucking incredible. It won an, it won an Academy Award, which is yeah, good. Yeah, I think it was good. his only film he won yep. an Oscar for, which is really yep. cool. That's so sad, because he is... <sighs> He is a phenomenal composer. Yeah. He is actually one of my favorite composers. And I've talked about this because we've covered a number of films that he composed. And he literally is one of my favorites. And he also was sort of the the soundtrack to my childhood. Like most of the movies that he composed, I'm like, I watched a shit ton as a kid. And I just, I think, I don't know. I always think he's like underappreciated compared to like some of the, his like, you know, peers with like James Horner mm-hmm. or, you know, all, all of... Uh, Gosh, Star Wars, John, uh, John Williams? Yes. yes, yeah. Yeah, like all of his like peers that were creating these massive scores for genre films or, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I feel like he, I don't know, I don't think he ever got the the claim, unfortunately, but his scores are amazing. Yeah, oh. I, I like, I listen to the Omen score when I'm writing sometimes. I have like a few scores that oh. I listen to when I'm writing to kind of get you in the headspace. So like, there's mm-hmm. certain projects it's not for every project because it's like so dramatic <laughs> but it's like it's very dramatic yeah, some scenes if you're working on them it's like a good one um to kind of get you in the headspace but it's it's br- like the kind of main theme like i remember when i watched that um first i think probably when i was younger i didn't probably realize that that was like composed for the film i kind of thought it was like some sort of choral song that like existed mm. in the ether before that so it was like really cool to learn that like it was made for the film and i love the 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 because he basically he wanted to take the kind of idea of like ave maria or like you know the because it's ave santana santani i think and he wanted to take this sort of like choir song that's like maybe sung in church and and just pervert it and so like the the english translations were we drink the blood we eat the body raise the body of satan hail hail antichrist hail satan those are the the those are the words that are being spoken in latin on on that song and so he takes it and he makes it just so like creepy and then he he twists the the lyrics around that you would normally hear in like a a church for 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 god or whatever and it's i just i think it's so it's and so that won a fucking Academy and that Award. I was say, that fucking won an Academy Award and got nominated. Like that's incredible. That that yeah, song. nominated for best original song. When is you know you think about like <laughs> the the, move, the the songs that are being nominated for best original song for Academies, and it's always like people singing, and it's always you know this sort of happy yeah. kind of right. <laughs> and this song was nominated for best original song, and I love it's that. So good. Oh That's God. so funny, actually, now that you think about it. It's like, if you like, hail Satan, eat the blood. And you're like, oh, yeah. And you're like, hell yeah. Can you imagine, like, if, <laughs> if I, and I don't know how the, the academies were, were aired at that point. I don't know if they, like, did performances. But can you imagine if, like, this song today, if, you know, it's like, we have, uh, don't talk, we don't talk about Bruno. We have all these, like, cutesy songs. And it's like, sort of like, choir song. It's literally like, 
Hail Satan. Like, that. can you imagine Honestly, that playing on television? I want it that's so badly. That would be incredible. Like, everyone's thing, and like, also, I like, hereditary, like, Colin Stetson's fucking score comes in with, like, scary, like, <laughs> saxophone. <laughs> oh, I love it. But um, with the impalement, I think that is so fucking scary because he's at the church. And you're like, oh, yeah, he sees it in the distance after telling Robert. Robert. I was like, what the fuck is his name? About his wife being pregnant. And he's like, the wind picks Mm -hmm. up and you're like, ooh, something spooky. He sees the church and he's like, oh, cool. I have sanctuary. And then it's like every door is locked. And it's just like this thing like, oh, not even God can save you. And then he dies by getting impaled by a spire spire like what is it the the angels i would say yeah some kind of pole or weird thing and it's just like i feel like that is such like a nail in the coffin with this movie of like and it's terrifying especially if you're like catholic like there is no saving you from what is happening and that's a terrifying prospect and again in the 70s especially after like the exorcist happened and it's like yeah. the church can save you and in this it's like oh no like there is absolutely nothing you can do and that is so fucking scary yeah i think the idea that like because you see it happening in the photos so it's like no this is your destiny like that's your mm-hmm. you, you're, this is going to happen to you. You can't really avoid it, no matter what you do. Is kind of like a terrifying thought in general. To have. Well, and then then they go to the they go to the the um cemetery and they see his baby with the skull bashed skull. in. Yeah, and you're like, this is such. It's like the inevitability of everything, and it's again like makes me think of Hereditary, which has that kind of like inevitability as you as like you kind of rewatch it you kind of see like everything was predestined yeah and that's and like in this movie it's like yeah there was nothing you could have done to escape that Mm. and that is just like that scares me more than anything like it sticks in my head with horror movies like not necessarily like terrified but like existential dread of just being like predestined to go through this hell and there's no matter what you do and how much effort you put in like you cannot escape it and that i think like that nihilism is pretty fucking terrifying and harrowing the more you think about it yeah because even the ending of the film is like you know Gregory Peck tries his best to like kill the antichrist and then it's like the end scene at the funeral and you're just like nope he's there he is Damien's still going he's like (laughs) yeah there's no stopping him just like you know you kind of were like oh god yeah the nihilistic kind of like yeah you can't satan is gonna do this no matter what basically yeah and there's there's two things i definitely want to piggyback off that the first one is that i guess originally there was some concern about having gregory peck as the the main character because you can't have atticus you know (laughs) atticus finch killing kids And there was like some some concern about that because he was Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird. He was sort of like you know the the, the father that everyone wanted to have, and here he is killing his son, <laughs> um, or trying to at least. But also uh, the one thing I I do feel that this movie in some ways feels almost like a reaction to The Exorcist because The Exorcist, like you know, it's all about. Catholicism is going to win. You know, it's the priests that come in, they save the day, they self sacrifice to like to to defeat the devil or whatever. Whereas here it's like the priests are either looked at as being um, kind of insane because the priest that is trying to get Thorne's, you know, attention, he's like, you're a little aggressive. (laughs) Well, and then you go to his fucking bedroom that's covered in Bible pages and what, 47 crucifixes and like an obsessive journal. Uh It's like, 
get a hobby, dude. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then when they go to get like the the knives to like to kill, and there's the there's the priest that has one good eye and his face is burned because he was in a fire. Like, yeah. there's aspects of it that like it, it it's it's almost like the the way that people are fallible in the world. And that's not going to protect you against Satan. And it ends up being, you know, uh, Gregory Peck's uh, character who tries to do it. It's not a priest. It's not someone else. They're like, you have to do this. It's all on you. Like, <laughs> we're tapping out. It almost gets like the vibe. Mm. And then again, he he loses. He dies. And the Antichrist wins. And I, I think that is such a – watching it after watching, like, The Exorcist, it's such a different feel to the film. Yeah. And And – than like that sort of yay go God, yay go religion of the exorcist. I have something yeah. very controversial yet brave to say here. I almost <laughs> like this more than the exorcist. Almost. Oh. Almost. Not totally. But I think this is such a more subversive film. And like for the ways we're talking about it, like it's so nihilistic. It isn't like Catholic. I feel like the exorcist is terrifying. Like that movie still scares me. But I think there is this, like, Catholic superhero movie going on there. And then, as someone who loves more nihilistic films, I think The Omen is, like you said, Terry, such a good reaction to it. And, like, such a good interpretation. And then also, like, I just think it's so much more subversive in, like, what it's showing and how it's treating religion. But then also, like, talking about abortion very openly. About... Mm. um, Mm -hmm. Kathy wanting to get an abortion like I don't want a kid and like again a mother saying this very openly in a movie like I don't want this kid that I'm pregnant with we I want to get an abortion and the psychiatrist like kind of corroborating that I think is so fascinating that Mm. those conversations are very openly happening and how abortion you know in the Catholic Church is like a grave like you're not supposed obviously like a grave sin and I just think this movie is tackling things in such a different way than we typically see, especially from that time period with religious mm. horror. And I think I just am so into how different it is. And I, I don't know. I think, again, I love The Exorcist. I am not knocking The Exorcist. But I think <laughs> The Omen deserves as many flowers in my head. Like, yeah, it's a little campy, but I think it really fucking goes for the gold with this. Like, impalements and she falls to her not death, but like almost fall. And it's like like a tiny kid and there's no saving the kid. And I don't know. I just watching it this time, I just had such a deeper appreciation for it and what it accomplishes and how controversial it is, especially in the time period. I keep saying that, but like, again, it's just really interesting to see this kind of movie being made in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, as young kind of Catholic kids, I think watching it really kind of like, affected us in that way it was like it felt very kind of like taboo in like the other ways not just a kind of like the devil or like you know the deaths are kind of the gruesome stuff but the like yeah the kind of like themes it's tackling definitely it felt kind of like taboo to be watching as a like young catholic kid you're like oh we're not meant to say that stuff <laughs> yeah so a lot of times when I when I when I'm preparing for a podcast interview, I end up going down rabbit holes, and I went down a rabbit hole on this on this movie because in the on the Wikipedia page there was like this whole section um, about analysis where the American scholar Brad Duran was arguing that the Omen was part of a trend of films featuring cosmic horror that started with Rosemary's Baby, mm. and he said, but what's interesting is that. Uh, 
this movie concerned the first steps of the apocalypse as the Antichrist was born, which also reflected the zeitgeist of the time of 1970s. There was this book that was released in the beginning of the 70s called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And it is a book about how the Antichrist would be born in the 70s and the rapture would be in the 80s. And it was a hugely popular book that sold a lot of copies and continued to sell copies even after the rapture didn't happen in the <laughs> 80s. Um, <laughs> but it it's kind of set the scene in the early in the early 70s for this sort of like we are living in the end times motif that I feel like over the last 40 years, we continue to see pop up like the 2012, like all of this stuff. It, people saying that Obama was the sign of the Antichrist. Like everyone seems to think that we are living in the end and they're waiting for that seven year period of, of turmoil and, sh and strife that's going to cause the end of the world. And it was it, in a way started in the 70s. And when I was digging into it, it almost sounded as if the omen kind of brought the idea of the 666 into popular culture. Oh. And in a way, it's after this that people started talking about the fact that, like, I guess, like, Duran went into this whole thing about how in the, in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily say that the Antichrist is Satan's son. And yet this movie kind of has imprinted that. And from here on out, everyone believes the Antichrist is Satan's son. Oh. When I guess if you go back to the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. And then the whole passage that the, the priest, that poem the priest reads that he says is from uh, Revelation isn't even in the book. Like there's a lot of things that this, that this does and set and I think kind of influence popular culture and influence the way people view it. And then I went down this whole rabbit hole about the mark of the beast because apparently, Anytime someone has wanted to do something new, a lot of evangelicals believe that it is trying, that is the devil trying to put 666 in the mark of the beast into someone. So the barcode, when it was first introduced, they said, a lot of people said that that was, that was the devil imprinting 666 in a barcode where you would have to buy things and it would be imprinting that sign in you. When oh in the early 2000s, when they when they first started doing the microchips you could implant in your skin to like pay for things they were saying no that microchip is 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 giving you the mark of the devil inside of you back when covid was happening and no one wanted to take the vaccines one of the things that came across is that in that vaccine is the mark of the devil yeah, i didn't like, even this hear is... that oh my god <laughs> yeah no I, I saw people talking right online i was like oh my goodness yeah this idea of 666 the mark of the beast and all of the kind of like concern, like I'm looking at these Wired articles from 2000, early 2000s talking about how uh, cash being skin deep or this Florida, comp Florida company wanted to do a biochip and people saying that, no, that, that biochip is, is the mark of the devil. It is 666 in there and it is going to – it's the devil trying to imprint on you. Like this idea of anything new technology from the late 70s and into today about being imprinted with the, with the chip is all – in some way or not, influenced by the 70s and influenced by the Omen in a lot That's of ways. Gas. And I think that is so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's kind of crazy. Very impactful movie then in huh. weird ways. It was a hugely popular movie. It made a lot yeah. of money. It was the sixth most uh, highest grossing movie of uh, 1976 they did a whole lot of marketing on it they it brought the seltzer the guy that wrote the script he wrote a novelization that was used as as um sort of marketing into the into the film they they just they went all out and they this movie made a, a ton of money because of that and i honestly think that it imprinted a whole lot in society and that is i just i always find that fascinating yeah no definitely that's very fascinating um I think as well, like people are always kind of obsessed with the end of the world, aren't they? They kind of like 
still now. It's like mm-hmm. I saw a really funny <laughs> my friend sent me like this like kind of crazy person on Twitter um had this <laughs> basically a tweet that was like there was like an old meme that was like things that will happen if gay marriage is legalized and then it was like a joke uh. that like you know a plague you know all this kind of stuff and then the person was tweeting be like well we're not laughing now are we look what happened it's like <laughs> gay marriage brought gay marriage brought covid and like world war three and all this kind of stuff it's like it did happen i was like okay <laughs> oh lord <laughs> Uh, that's, that's ridiculous I I, it's 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 so funny though how how people are able to take events and kind of create their own narrative around it yeah. and uh like the barcodes yeah printed the devil i mean to be fair i probably wouldn't want a microchip in my arm to pay for stuff but not because of the devil just because that would be kind of weird <laughs> just like the principle <laughs> of it all <laughs> yeah yeah capitalist chip in my arm it's like mm, doesn't really sound good <laughs> okay that's i'm literally a cog in the, well, i'm already a cog in the capitalist machine but even we, we more all, so yeah. with the chip in your arm <laughs> yeah yeah it feels a bit off yeah definitely so watching this now vice watching it as a kid this movie still scare you as it did when you were a kid um i don't think it did scare me when i rewatched it recently but it definitely you know, I think as a kid, it scared me a lot, but it it um, kind of thrilled me a lot. And like, it mm. kind of, you know, really gripped me as a kid. And like, I found it really kind of exciting to view. And I, I feel like I still felt that watching it when I rewatched it recently. I was like, this is a badass movie. Like, they really could just go for it. It's just like a real thrill ride. You never feel like you're kind of, there's slow parts that much. It's just kind of like... Nope, and now somebody's getting impaled, and they're throwing them out the window of the hospital, and you're like, whoa, okay, here we go. So, yeah. It's paced really well for a two-hour movie. Yeah, it's actually, it was it much really longer is. than I thought, I remembered it being, which is funny, because as a kid, you imagine your attention span is kind of lacking, but I, we obviously were just, like, mm-hmm. so invested in it, we were like, we don't care, we'll watch this, it's going to be brilliant, yeah. Yeah. All right, Terry, how many, it's all for you. Damien's out of five. Do you give the omen? It's all for you if you really want it. I'm sorry. I have Janet Jackson stuck in my head ever since I started watching this movie again. Oh, man. Okay. I, you know, I think when I went to go add this to my letterbox, I had apparently rated it at one point and I'd given it three stars out of five. And, you know, watching it this time, I think I appreciated a lot more of what it was doing. I think a lot of it is immensely silly and it is a little overdramatic in spots. Yeah. But I I think that that kind of works for it as opposed to against it in a lot of ways. And I appreciated some of the more campier aspects of it now as an adult. And um, I, th- I think that, like you said, Mary Beth, I think it's surprisingly subversive, um, particularly coming out of, you know, a few years later after The, the Exorcist. And I think it kind of tapped into that cultural zeitgeist of the time. And I, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it on this rewatch. So I'm going to give it four. It's all for you, Damien's out of, out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? I am going to give it four and a half. It's all for Ooh. it's all for you, and then it's all for so you have the half. Um, I did <laughs> remember go. I was telling Terry before I'm telling this now before I forget. My cat's name is Terry Misu, and I call her Shmoo. So I started singing "It's Cute. All for Shmoo," 
um, at her <laughs> last night. Um, How did she react to uh, that? She stared at me. She's like, the Mom, antichrist. what are you talking about? She's like, what are, who? But I, I love this movie. I haven't, I just was so obsessed with it watching it last night. And I think it's just what I want. Like, I love The Exorcist, but I love how just absolutely, like, you cannot escape this movie is and nihilistic. And I love that it just absolutely goes for it. Like, it's got campy moments, but I love that. Like, it just, it kicks <laughs> Gregory Peck's ass. Like, he is getting mauled by dogs, mm. stuck on a fence. Like, I love a movie where a protagonist is getting their ass absolutely kicked. Like, yeah. no one is safe. And no one is safe in this movie. And I just think there's so much happening. And I love every second of it. It all makes, like, it all just comes together into this really dark package. And so I give it four and a half. Um, Kate, you have the final word. How many It's All For You, Damien's, do you give? I think I will have to give it four. It's All For You, Damien's. I think, like, when I went to rewatch it, I kind of didn't think that I would enjoy it as much as I did because you know sometimes when you're a kid Mm -hmm. you're blown away by movies but then you go back to visit them and you're a bit like oh yeah it's kind of silly and there's like head spinning and all this kind of stuff but I really (laughs) I just enjoyed it so much I think there are really weird unsettling things in it like I think even watching it back when I was a kid I kind of just accepted that when they dig up the grave it's like a jackal body that gave birth to Damien but now watching it now I was like God, that's really fucking weird, actually. Now that you like think about like a and jackal you giving so hard, birth, you're like, why do they have that in the hospital? Yeah, <laughs> like, I was like, w- yeah, there was like some bits where I was like, that's actually kind of really weird and disturbing in a way that I didn't really appreciate as much maybe when I was younger. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed. It. I think the score is just so banging. It's just like such mm. a from the get go moment it starts. It's like that coming in, and you're just like, you can't deny it's so badass. And then like. Gregory Peck, obviously amazing, and like I, yeah, I think the campiness of it, I really appreciated it rewatching now. Like the the kind of like camp nanny who's like got her eye makeup and she's like, well, I don't think you should go to the church. And you're like, okay, what's going on with you? You're kind of weird. <laughs> and you're like strategically curled bangs, like <laughs> like yes. the forehead. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think. Um, what would you do? So if you, what if you? Um, petted your cat and your cat had the mark of the beast what would you do <laughs> yeah what would you do mary beth i think i would really be- willingly become a servant of satan <laughs> i'm not gonna yeah. lie to you i love her so much i would do anything for that fucking cat i'd be like well she likes me so like obviously i'm on her good side so i'll just be a servant of satan that's probably not the answer most people want to hear but i'd do it yeah i think it, like i I have two cats, and I feel like if one of them was, I'd be like, well, I am just the caretaker of Satan now, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, like, that's just how I, that's my life now. You I'll gotta be do Mrs. It. Baylock, fuck it. I've got yeah, bangs yeah. already. I'll just curl each individual yeah, part. Yeah, curl them nicely. Yeah, yeah, I, I got, I can do it. <laughs> when my when my cat when my cat was alive she loved me, but she did not like anyone else. And, like, if I had discovered 666 on her, I'd be like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> that, like, that, that, that <laughs> This, yeah. this tracks out. Yep. Hail Satan. Yeah, one of my cats, he bites everybody except me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he would be him. Uh-huh. He would definitely have that. Yeah. Yep. That was my Shado baby. She uh, 
did not like anyone and she did not like anyone else being around me like she would give death stares and and all that kind of stuff so yeah it, it tracks Wait, what if you're the antichrist and she's mrs baylock and what she was mrs baylock and oh. was trying to protect you from everyone yeah she's like my my rottweiler <laughs> she was as big as one she was a main coon she was like girl. a she was a 25 pound oh, cat she was a chunky lass i loved her <laughs> a chunky um, lass. yeah a chunky lass <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for joining us to talk about The Omen. Where can our uh, listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you can share or talk yeah, about? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Twitter, I suppose, but I, I do just kind of talk about um, cats and horror movies. <laughs> like, weird That's all I do stuff. on Twitter. Hey, it's, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like my like Venn diagram of perfection yeah, right there. Um, so that's on my Twitter handle is at uh, Kat Dolan, actually. It's C-A-A-T. D-O-L-A-N. Um, so you can find me there. I'm currently like working on um, writing some new projects, horror movies. Um, so hopefully that won't be too far in the distance in the future to get to make those. Um, and then, yeah, obviously you can watch You Are Not My Mother on um, streaming. It's on like kind of YouTube to rent and iTunes, all that kind of stuff. So if you do want to watch the movie, you can rent it and now it's available. Do it. Oh, yeah. watch yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we now need we need like a cat um version of the omen. That's what uh, that's what I'm leaving this conversation oh, <laughs> I think that'd make a perfect TikTok. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> now I'm gonna take the score the Jerry Goldsmith score and just like film my cat uh-huh. being a little shit. Um uh-huh. like her attacking perfect. my other older cat. Because she's tiny. She's like a, well, she's almost two, and then he and my other cat's thirteen. So they just harass like she is always in his business. <laughs> Love it. But listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with the omen? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. 
ACAST.com.